funeral is about to begin, sir. I am more. Halloween verse by Dino saying It was the night before Halloween and unholy spirits lurked in the house. Suddenly came a knock at the door. An evil soul unannounced. On a mantle human heads lay neat. Straight ahead they looked. And a pot stewed with toes and fingers stirred by a foot. Corpses play cards, waiting on midnight for their friends to rise from their beds. With nightmares of punishment that legends have saved. Ghostly dancers settled in gown took leave to potions of the devil's double down.
Looking through your window, waiting 
I am alone. I am utterly alone. By the time you read this, I will be gone. Having jumped, having plummeted off the winter river. I cannot tell you when it all began. I have always been plagued by sleep paralysis. I have somewhat learned to deal with it, to recognize it for what it is, and wait it out. It always begins with the need to yawn or speak, but my mouth is shut tight. I then try to sit bolt upright, but my arms and my body are clamped down to the bed. Sometimes my eyes are open. Sometimes I see things. Seeing things is always frightening. Tall, inhuman shadows that glare at me. Grinning, slender, clawed hands stretch out until I fully wake up. Then there are the times when I awake underneath the bedsheets. I feel the weight of the things as they kneel on my chest atop the sheets, pinning me down until I fully wake up and can move again. This is normal sleep paralysis. I've read that people from around the world have similar experiences. The horrific sights, the pressure on the chest of the victim, it's all in the mind of the sleeper. All a more intense version of a nightmare. Although terrifying, I've learned to deal with them. The only thing is, I couldn't find anything written about voices. The things talk to me. Doors are made for opening. When they whisper to me, it's all they say. I'd never thought too much about it. They were just my nightmares. In hindsight, I wish I had paid more attention to the things. Why did they not always kneel on me? Why did they not always talk to me? But they did not always open my wardrobe and cupboards either. The first few times that I awoke normally to find my wardrobe and cupboards open, I assumed I'd left them that way when I went to bed. The past four days, however, I've hardly slept. Fighting insomnia the first night, I lay in the semi-darkness. That night, the wardrobe door swung open violently in front of me, and I remained frozen in fear until the sun came up. The second night, I had tried and failed to sleep downstairs. Lying there, I heard the wardrobe doors fly open once more above me. I had flickered the lights on and stood in my living room. Images of ghosts or drafts or poltergeists or minor earthquakes wrestled from my attention. 
You must realize, over the years, I've learned to separate my sleep paralysis episodes and understand them to be nightmares and nothing more. You mustn't judge me, but as I stood there in my living room awake, I understood more than I ever wished to. Doors are made for opening the harsh whisper so close to me. It was only when I reached my hotel room later that night, after running from the house, that I discovered it. I had no idea when it was drawn. Just a few lines, unmistakably a door marked in charcoal on my chest. I tried to wash it off, but the stain remained, and it's still there. I've been in the hotel room for two days now, always with the lights on, and always awake, except for whenever it was I must have succumbed to exhaustion and fallen asleep. I'm awake now, but I... this whole ordeal is is going to be over soon. How do I know? Because I can't scream. Because I can't move my body. And because the grinning things with clawed hands are now looming over me, whispering to me. It has been six weeks since my first sighting of the wicked old hag. I woke up in the middle of the night and went to roll over, but my entire body was paralyzed. I lay there, scared and helpless, contemplating my predicament when I became aware of a presence in the room with me. A presence that I can only describe as pure evil. I caught sight of a withered old woman at the foot of my bed. Her tall, hunched frame was draped in a long, dirty gown, and wisps of filthy white hair hung from a balding scalp. I channeled all my energy into a desperate attempt to move, but my efforts were in vain. It felt as though I was being pinned to the bed by an invisible force. I tried to scream out for help, but my words came out as jumbled whispers. I could feel her claw-like hands on my legs and my arms as she crawled her way up my rigid body. A crooked smile revealed rotten teeth, and her bloodshot eyes were callous and calculating as she stared directly at me. Suddenly, I bolted upright in bed. I could move, and the room around me was empty. It was just a bad dream, I concluded. It took a few minutes to catch my breath and settle back to sleep. A couple of weeks later, I met an old friend for a drink, and a point in our conversation reminded me of my dream. I had a scary case of sleep paralysis a couple of weeks ago, I told him. Really? 
Did you see the old hag? My friend replied. An icy chill ran over my body. I hadn't told anyone about the dream. There was no way he could have known what I'd seen. How the hell did you know that? I asked with disbelief, my quivering voice. I read about it some time ago, he explained, startled by my reaction. A phenomenon known as Old Hag Syndrome, where sufferers of sleep paralysis are visited by an entity, often in the form of an old hag. You're bullshitting me, I said incredulously. He convinced me to look it up, and so when I returned home, I typed the key words old hag and sleep paralysis into Google. It returned pages full of results, some of which told of ancient folklore spanning different cultures. Others told of personal experiences like my own. To some, the entity took the form of an old lady or a witch. To others, she looked more like a demon. But they all described the presence of overwhelming evil. Most chilling of all were the accounts in which the hag tortured and molested her victims as they lay paralyzed and helpless. I turned off the computer and tried to put it out of my mind. An eerie mood lingered in the room and I had a bad feeling that unless I could get her out of my mind, she was sure to pay me another visit. That night, I was awoken by a piercing cackle and I lay paralyzed as the tall and stooped figure emerged at the foot of my bed. She crawled under the covers and up my body before sitting on my chest and peering down at me. She ran her slimy tongue over her chapped lips and made slurping sounds. <laughs> what transpired after that, I cannot bring myself to talk about. I've spent subsequent days browsing forums for answers, for a way out. I'm neither religious nor superstitious, and I don't believe anything considered supernatural. But scientific resources offer no rational explanation for what I've been experienced, just speculation and skepticism. In some cultures, it is believed to be a demonic curse, and the entity is brought to life through the power of suggestion. Most victims recall some kind of trigger that worked its way into their subconscious, such as a painting or a friend sharing their personal experience. I've been telling myself, don't think of the old hag. But as we all know, the harder you try not to think of something, the more that thought persists. The visions grow more vivid and traumatizing the more I think of her. Some nights, she violates me in unspeakable ways, and I wake with bruises, scratches, and bite marks all over my body. Other nights, I can hear her ragged breathing in my ear and find her lying next to me grinning and gurgling. But I think I've learned a way to be rid of these visions once and for all. I must plant the thought into the mind of someone else and distract the old hag with a fresh victim. As selfish and cruel as I am to pass this curse on to someone else, I just, I can't bear it anymore. Dear reader, whoever you are, please forgive me. 
in the darkness of the night, there shall be no gala to contribute to the many years of disappointment, outrage, and misheeled assumption. In the darkness of the night, there shall be no ring bearer to pledge allegiance that happens. In the darkness of the night, there's a flower that blossoms. Tears make it grow. Hail to the maker of the soil that gives birth. In the darkness of the night. In the darkness of the night, there are shadows of shadows standing in line for the taste of my success. At least I know what. In the darkness of the night. It boils my blood and dries up my tears. Can't cry. In the darkness of the night, through the fire of my eyes, you can see the future beating the present. So at home, in the darkness of the night, in the darkness of the night, I met tribulation. He was heartless, soulless, spiritless, with a grin on his face. In the darkness of the night, I'm in a cave that sits in a corner. Many times I've called out as my pen struck the bar, but there was no answer. So my writing rescued me from the darkness of the night. This is Luke and Wolf, and you're tuned in to the delightful darkness of EMZT Radio. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't Mr. Goodman's idea. He's your good friend, whereas I am a victim of your carnivorous lunar activities. You've left my wife a widow, and my children fatherless. And I understand I am to walk the earth in limbo. One of the living dead, until the wolf's bloodline is severed and the curse lifted. You must die, David Kessler. The Poker Game, by Matt Jordan. I used to gamble. Hell, one of the best. Even making it to the final table of the World Series of Poker once. Every year, me and my buddies, we hit Vegas. It'd only be for a week or so, but I only saw the inside of a casino. I was usually found at the poker or blackjack table, spending a few thousand per hand. Heck, the last time I paid for anything in Vegas was the first time we went. Then, everything. Oh, I'm not a sucker. I knew that my gambling losses would eventually pay for everything, 
about two or three days in, I'd mindlessly give one of my buddies a couple of grand to lay on some basketball games. So yeah, you could say gambling was my life. But as much as I love to gamble, I would never let it control my life. Bills are always paid. And my family always had food. Just gambled for the same reason people drink or play video games. Real just relaxed me. Friday nights were always poker night, nothing big, just four guys and bourbon. Saturdays would always find me at the computer playing online poker. Again, usually nothing big, unless I'm uh, feeling saucy. I was well known on a few of the poker sites. Most everyone I met was friendly, but you'd get a few assholes every now and then. Usually, it's a drunk or some guy who shouldn't be playing anyways. But thanks to my good nature, most people liked me and they'd invite me to events. And some of them were even high stakes. I'd usually go to some of the higher profile ones. Hell, I was hoping to make poker my career. Be pushing the pencils at my accounting job. That's for damn sure. A Sunday, about 11 in the morning, I just finished a nice cup of coffee. Great breakfast. My phone rang. The number I'd recognized, but the text sure was intriguing. Get Vegas this year. I have something better. Check your mail tomorrow. Texted back asking who it was, but I never received an answer. The next day, the job was a blur. I kept thinking about what the text could possibly mean. I raced home, my mind in 50 million different directions. My wife met me at the door. I gave her the usual kiss and the typical greeting. She handed me an envelope slightly larger in size than normal. Dear sir, we've been watching you play for a long time and are impressed by your poker playing prowess. And are impressed with your poker playing prowess. We would like to invite you to the ultimate poker cruise. We will leave port on a Sunday and return the next week. All expenses paid. This invitation will get you and your friends on the cruise. Be expecting you. That one kind of creeped me out, but hell, all expenses paid cruise? <laughs> I'm there. We canceled our plans for Vegas, instead packed for the cruise. I kissed my wife and headed to the airport. Her excitement made the flight to Orlando extremely short. After a quick Uber to the ship, we boarded. Oh, Mr. Morris. Please have your party follow me. We walked into a room to rival most presidential suites. Anything you could imagine. Sitting in this room. Exotic food. Women. <laughs> in a hot tub. If you need anything else, uh, don't hesitate. First night, we could walk the ship and just relax. Wired about the gambling, but I was told that because of state laws, gambling wasn't allowed until we arrived in international waters. And seeing as this was my first gambling cruise, well, I just accepted it. After a night of hedonism, we fell asleep. The next morning after breakfast, I was informed that the recipients of the invitation were wanted in the main poker room. After being seated, the stakes were explained. 
Gentlemen, it's simple. You're the best poker players in the world. You're the top 15. As stated, the winner gets all 15 million. Everyone else will be just out of luck. But you're probably also wondering why you were not asked to bring cash. I think it's obvious. Giving all of you a million dollars. Go bust. You're out. However, all in has a new meaning here. It'll be explained. Cross that bridge. But as for now, shuffle up and deal. I was focused. This was $15 million. Nothing else mattered. Not even my friends. I'm sure they were completely lost in the debauchery that was our room anyways. I lost all sense of time, but I think it was maybe three hours in when the first person went bust. That's when we learned what all in really meant. The whole room stopped because they wanted to see what happened. Because at that point, we saw one of the player's friends paraded in and blindfolded. The player was given a choice. Kill one of your friends, give you $50,000, go bust. A sense of dread started to wash over me. I was slowly realizing that if you went bust, you weren't leaving the ship. Live. Friend was forced to his knees, but he didn't put up a fight. Almost sedated. Holy shit! I just kept thinking. Friends like this too? The player was in the hand at a large knife. Maybe it was a small machete. About the same. Slit his throat and stay in the game. If you don't, I don't think I need to tell you what happens next. At that point, all the air went out the room. No one spoke a word. Becoming clear to all of us. Bit off more than we can chew. I, I can't do this. I won't do this. Player protested. These are my friends! You can't get away with this! At that point, the rest of his friends were marched into the room, and the Game Master made sure we all paid attention to what happens next. Let this be an example. All the player's friends were on their knees. Oh, look sedated. When I thought about it, in a trance. Their hands stretching outwards, each received a knife. Four friends surrounded the player, each taking turns stabbing him. Each thrust almost put them into a bloodlust of sorts. The player was dead. They turned on each other. They them mindlessly stabbing each other till they all fell on the floor. The rest of us looked around. Now everyone was playing to win, some of them even taking shortcuts. If a dealer noticed a player was trying to cheat, however, the player's friends were summoned into the room, no question. 
player would be murdered along with his friends. Quiet moments of gathering ourselves, you could hear the splash of what we assumed were the bodies being tossed overboard. Ended and we were all sent back to our rooms. Walk back seemed forever. Shaking. Honestly ready for my friends to murder me the second I opened that door. I took one huge breath. My amazement, my friends seemed almost normal. I sat there quietly and observed them just to see if there was anything unusual about their behavior, but nothing, no change. They would try to hold normal conversations with me and I... Everything was just a blur. Dinner was when I first noticed something was not right with them. It was a wonderful buffet, but with a small surprise. Two tables. Players dined from one, the friends from the other one. Our table had the best seafood and the steaks, but their table had meat served raw. I noticed my friends couldn't get enough. They were almost like animals. Lawrence insisted that I try their meat. I, I kept making excuses, but he just kept pushing. Finally, I tasted it. It was gamey. Not any meat that I've had before. I asked him what it was. And he said without hesitation, it was human. He kept bragging about how it was the best human he ever had. It hit me. Flash, we heard. The remains of the players that had lost the game. Hard to stomach the rest of dinner, but I forced myself to eat. I needed that energy for the next day. Sleeping was tough, knowing that I'd just eat being. Again, I just forced myself and resigned. If I was going to be dinner tomorrow night, then that's how it was just going to be. After the first day, ten of us remained. Three busted out, two cheated. My focus was now less on the money and more on survival. For the first part of the day, my luck was great. Almost busted another player. Then things started taking a turn and I couldn't hit a damn thing. If I'd lost three or four in a row, I'd panic for a little while, folding on everything, because I figured if I was gonna lose money, I might as well lose a little bit at a time and hope that I can just make it past the other players. Happened for a few hours until something snapped. What the hell? They're lost causes. Now I have a better shot of fighting off three of them than four. But I decided it was time to take more chances betting. First, it worked. It started intimidating people. I guess they figured it'd be better to lose a little than to get busted right out of the gate. Another player went bust. For the first time, someone gained $50,000 for killing their friend. Little sight I can't get used to. How many times it happened. Day three on the ship saw two more players not make it, and the whole thing was starting to make me sick. Barely eat again. Dinner was mostly thinking about how the hell to get off the ship. Around the best I could, but we were too high to jump. Lifeboats. Everything I thought would work, well, they apparently thought of that as well. Back to bed. 
And I just kept telling myself to keep playing the game and maybe some of us would survive the next three days. Maybe. Let us live. Or... At this point, it was just down to three and all I could think of was 48 hours to go. Just survive. Woke on day six. My friends were gone and so were the girls. The panic sets in as I walk down to the poker room. I exhale when I see them on stage, but they're completely... I wasn't going to die yet. Out at the table and the chips were in front of us as usual. I had a small lead going into today, so I was the safest of all three. And then the game master spoke. Let's raise the stakes! He nodded towards the stage, and suddenly all our friends killed each other. My four best friends had just murdered each other, and I didn't even flinch. Money meant nothing. It was about survival. The game began... And about two hours in, another announcement was made. The two highest chip totals will survive to the showdown. I hear the cackling from the game master, amused at his own pun. We all played as hard as we could, using all our poker knowledge of going big, going small. They ended breath. Player ended with 3.5 million. Player two had 6.5. Without a very loud sigh. That means only 11 of the 15 million is off the table. I had the other four. Live another 24 hours, but I was at a severe disadvantage. And without the friends to stab the losing player, they took all three of us to the bow where the third place player was shot and thrown overboard. Both of us trying to figure out ways to survive the next 24 hours. I tossed all night, even pacing. Around midnight, I forced myself to sleep. Because I knew if I'm either to win or escape, I need all my strength. The walk to the room felt like a mile. I looked at the other player, took a deep breath, and sighed. The third place player's chips were evenly split between us. Played very conservatively, hoping that we could just make it to the end of the day and we both live. Around 5 p.m., the announcement was made. Take their chips! This is the last hand, and there must be a winner! Everyone involved in the cruise entered the room. Hearts were dealt. I had a jack of spades and a queen of hearts. Table in the proper heads up fashion. His cards, a king of diamonds and a six of clubs. Let out a little bit of a relieved sigh. I had started out with the better hand. Up. Six of diamonds. Shit. Jack of Diamonds. Dealer picked up the river card. Both the other player and I held our breath knowing one of us was about to die. 
felt forever before the dealer placed the river card on the table. Tears streamed down my face. I won! And I was $15 million richer, but more importantly, I was alive! survived the gambling boat from hell before I get my money there was one last task I had to kill the other player hands were shaking but I took the knife plunged as hard as I could into the other player the others in the room broke into thunderous applause three briefcases five million dollars each were handed to me walked off the boat. Limo was waiting for me and I placed my bags back and sat down. Sure. Million dollars richer, but I just murdered a man and watched my best friends die. I couldn't even face my family after that. I fell into a deep depression and began drinking. Eventually, my wife left me and kids. Walking out of the court, I received a text. Exactly who it was from. I haven't looked at the cards since that boat trip. Something tells me. Myself poker. Life probably depends on it. supernatural the power of darkness it's all true the undead surround me have you ever talked to a corpse it's boring i'm lonely in the dream you are falling lost in the listening distance as dark Locks in. <laughs> Nightfall. Good evening. This week's Nightfall will tell you everything you need to know about urban transportation and more. The play by Marjorie Stewart is called Cemetery Stuff. More than five minutes. What the hell are you trying to pull? Look, Ben, I had a few tie-ups back there, that's all. Tie-ups, eh? Such as Bali in the coffee shop here before you started out? Eh? That's some tie-up. 
And I suppose you stopped at the other end, too. Uh, let up on me, will you? Take it out on somebody else for a change. Now, look, I've had a lot of complaints about you, Mortland. You're pulling away from stops too quickly, leaving passengers stranded, missing stops purposely when you're running late. Look, Ben, I'll see it doesn't happen again, okay? Your promises don't count. Not anymore. You've only got one thing going for you, Mortland. Yeah, what's that? We're, uh... Taking into consideration the fact that you've been through a lot in the last month and... Thanks, Ben. Okay. Well, get going. Let's see you back here on schedule. Goddamn company man. He and his whole transportation system can go straight to hell. Shift over. What are you on these days, anyway? You the Sinclair car? Yep. Having some uh, hassles with Ben? Mm. He's just trying to throw his weight around. This your stop? Next. <laughs> no, Moreland. You sure don't look like the kind of guy who'd get bothered. You got it, Frankie. Anyway, I don't need this lousy job. How come? Got a few million socked away? I don't know. But I don't mind telling you. I got a few other irons in the fire. My lawyer clears up a few entanglements. Then I'm heading out. Can't take the Toronto pride. But... Oh, I don't mind, Toronto. It's been a city of opportunities, as far as I'm concerned. And I just don't like anyone pushing me around. That's so. I prefer to do the pushing myself. Now, take this route, for instance. I did a bit of pushing to get a hold of this one. Yeah, I bet you did. It's a real easy route, isn't it? Well, it's not too bad. This stretch here, for example, no problem at all. There's no evening stop, so after 5.30, it's clear sailing right through. Frank? Yeah, to hell with him. Well, damn it, spoke too soon. Driver, stop. What? Uh, no, you made a mistake, man. There's no point in you getting off here. This is my stop, driver. No, there's nothing here, ma'am. Driver, this is my stop. You want the next stop, ma'am. You've made a mistake. Driver, this is my stop. Okay, okay, have it your way. the cemetery. Dressed all in black like that. Everybody knows after 5.30 it's closed. 
Yeah, what'll it be? Oh, hi. The regular? Yeah, uh, easy on the sugar. So, uh, how's it going? Look, Molly, I'm running late. Great. Well, there you are. Listen, uh, call me sometime, will you? Thanks. Hey, hey, Mortland, could you wait just a minute? What? Oh, you look, Pete, I'll pay you that ten I'll owe you next week, okay? Oh, no, no, it's, it's, it's not that, George. Look, uh, you and I, we've, we've had our differences in the past, you know, but, uh, but I, I, I just wanted to say how, how sorry I was to hear about Marion. Well, you know, we were kids together, us two. A real shock it was. Especially the way it happened. She, she, uh, she was such a good swimmer. Yeah, look, uh, I'm in a bit of a hurry right now. I gotta get going. Oh, sure, sure. I, I won't keep you waiting. See you around, George. Yeah, okay then. I hope not. I sure hope not. Nosy bastard. <laughs> I'd miss you. Uh, does this bus go right into the St. Clair station? Yeah. Uh, you got it. Uh, treating yourself to a to a late night snack, eh, driver? That's right. Uh, that coffee sure smells good on a cold night like this. You gotta do something to keep yourself awake. Thank God this is my last run tonight. Yes, sir. I figured it was. How long does it take to get down to St. Clair? Well, about five minutes. It's a straight run from here. No stop until we get ready to turn off Mount Pleasant. From the corner on, it's just a short run into the subway loop. God damn it. Why the hell would anybody be getting out here? The cemetery stuff. Damn it, anyway. Driver, will this bus take me to the end? What? What 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 do you mean? The end? Driver, will this bus take me to the end? Well, um uh, yeah, sure. Sure, yeah, it, it it goes right to to the end. sure wish I could get a job driving a bus. Looks like fun to me. Yeah, it's hard work, kid, just like everything else. I like this stretch. You can really open her up, huh? What? You never have to stop along here. Damn. Driver, this is my stop. Driver, this is my stop. All right, all right, I can hear you. Damn it, she got off here the same time last night. What'd you stop for, driver? 
there wasn't anyone waiting to get off. It's windy out there, driver. And cold. <laughs> I'll be glad to get home to my apartment. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'll be glad to get home myself. Well, it won't be long now. This is the last half of my final run for the night. Well, I'm, I'm glad I caught you then. Damn it. There she is again. What's she doing out there this time of night? I'm going to find out. Does this bus take me to the end? What? Driver. Does this bus take me to the end? Did you see that woman getting off the bus just now? What woman? Well, you couldn't miss her. She was all in black. She, she was dressed in black. No. No, just a mister. You couldn't have it. She brushed right past. No, no. I don't remember her. This uh, trouble, I don't know. It must have started night before last. Well, yeah, mon Monday night it was. What? What sort of trouble? Hey, look, if you're having trouble with that route again, Mortland, I want to know about it. No, it's... It's not the sort of trouble you're thinking about. I, I don't even know yet if it is trouble. Maybe it's just sort of weird. You'd better tell me about it. On my last run, night before last, as I was going north, a woman got off at the cemetery stop. There was uh, something, and something about her. I, I, I can't really describe her. Go on. Well, she, she rang the bell. I argued with her a bit, but then I had to let her off the bus. And I went on up to the top, up to Eglinton, you know, same as I always do. And then I turned around to head back here. Yeah. As I came back down toward the cemetery again, I was sort of looking for her, figuring she'd made a mistake, gotten off at the wrong stop. But I, I didn't see her again. Instead, an old woman got on right across the street from where the first woman had gotten off. So what? You're not trying to tell me that you think there's some kind of connection that... But doesn't it seem odd to you? Now, look, you've got nothing to worry about. Just as long as they pay their fare and don't make any commotion. For God's sake, Ben! Forget about it, Mortland. Do you hear me? Forget about it. There's an explanation for everything if you want to dig deep enough. What? What do you mean by that? Like I told you, forget about it. You're... Nerves are getting the better of you, George, and I'm not surprised. What with the shock of your wife drowning like that. Now, look, go home, George. Get yourself a good night's sleep. You'll see. You'll feel better tomorrow.
not trying to pick a fight with you, Molly. I just thought we could spend some time together. I, I don't want to be alone tonight. Well, yeah, but I can't leave early. Betty has that awful sore throat, so she called in sick. And, well, Mike says... Oh, got... forget. I don't want to hear what Mike says. Look, I, I'm going to try to get some sleep for a change. What, what are you so uptight about? This job is starting to get to me. I'll be glad to wash my hands of the whole thing. What do you mean, George? Are you thinking of quitting? I, I got plans. What do you mean, plans? Oh, never mind. Just never mind. someone to take my last run for me. What's the matter with you? What are you talking about? I just, I can't do this last run. I, I got a, a funny feeling. Ben, just, just get somebody else to do it. Come on, George. You know damn well I can't get another man on this much notice. I won't do it, I tell you. I, I can't. Get hold of yourself, George. You come with me, Ben. What? Well, uh, okay. But let's get going. What's going on, Molly? Oh, uh, hi. Well, I Mike let me off early, and I uh, I thought I'd ride up with George and kill some time. Kill some time? Hi, Molly. Look, you don't have to kid me. Hi, George. Hey, you look kind of pale. You feeling okay? I'm okay. Look, what's going on with you two? What? But nothing anymore. Right, George? I mean, if you really got to know, Ben, there hasn't been anything since... Oh, I, I, I didn't mean that. Look, I'm riding with him, too. The more the merrier. Thanks. You know about... Yeah. Well, I've never been on this route before. Actually, it's a pretty good one. Easy. George is lucky he's got it. Yeah. I used to think that myself. See? Stop before the cemetery. She's not on the bus yet. If she isn't on the bus, she sure as hell can't get off it. And if you can't see her, she's not there. There you are, George. You'll see. Everything's going to be just fine. You don't understand. The fact that I can't see her doesn't mean anything. I never pick her out until I hear the bell. But there hasn't been a bell, George. 
And we're almost at the cemetery. <laughs> Driver, this is my stop. Did you see her? What's the matter with you, George? Why did you stop the bus? Why did you open the door? No, I had to. My hand. My hand. It went right to the lever. I couldn't stop it. What are you talking about, George? That doesn't make sense. Look. Look. She's still out there. Can't you see her? She. She's waving at me. Calling me to go out there. I'll be back in a minute. George. Where the hell are you going? Don't go out there, George! No. George! No, hold it, Molly. He's got to get to the bottom of this by himself. Where is she? Oh, I should have known. Hey, you there? <laughs> See, he knows right where to go. But he's only been here once, hasn't he? But he does know. Over here, George. This is your stop, George. This is the end of the line. You don't have to go anywhere anymore. There's nowhere to go now. There isn't? No, there isn't. Is there? Where are they? It's so dark here. I can't see. Grass here. It's getting soft, wet. This isn't grass. It's earth. Oh my God! It's an open grave. I. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it, it was an accident. I swear it was an accident. You could have helped me, George, but you didn't. He could. Sure he could. He's a good boy. He can be very helpful. I didn't know that. How could George know how to help? Oh, he just knows. <laughs> what you want? You want to know? Nothing. We finally know now. We know all about you and Molly, George. But Marion didn't know, did she? Even Molly didn't know, did she? She couldn't understand after all, could she? But we understand, George, don't we? We know all about it, don't we, George? So it's all right, isn't it, George? Even if Marion didn't know. Even if Molly doesn't know. Even if nobody knows but us. Yes. Nobody knows but us.
I don't think we should be doing this. He's got to work it out for himself. For God's sake, Ben, he's been wandering around in here for an hour. We've got to help him. What's that? Over there. Oh, my God. Come on. Say, don't leave them open like that, do they? How the hell should... Oh, God. You got any matches or anything? Yeah. George? Oh, my God. Look at the headstone. It's... It's... Marion's grave. Molly. What? Don't look down in there. just heard Cemetery Stop by Marjorie Stewart. Featured in tonight's cast were Neil Monroe as George Mortland, Jane Eastwood as Molly, and Murray Westgate as Ben. You also heard Alan Fawcett as Frankie, Frank Perry as the elderly passenger, and Alan Levson as the young boy. The voices of the two women from the graveyard were played by Elva May Hoover and Marion Waldman. Our recording engineer is Brian Pape, with sound effects by Matt Wilcott and the production assistance of Nina Callahan. Nightfall is produced and directed for CBC Radio by Bill Howell.
My name is Tommy, and I think I might be going insane. I grew up in a middle-class home with loving parents and a sweet little sister. Everything seemed fine until one day when something very strange happened. I came to my home from school, and when I walked into the living room, I saw something that disturbed me. My mother and my father were sitting on the couch, smiling and staring at the TV. The weird thing was that the TV wasn't on, yet they were staring at it intently. They both turned to look at me and simultaneously said, Hello, Timmy. My heart leapt up into my throat. My name is Tommy. How could my own parents make a mistake like that? Is everything okay? I asked nervously. Everything is perfect, Timmy, my father replied. They were both smiling from ear to ear. It was creepy. I decided to go upstairs and talk to my little sister. When I walked into her room, she was lying on her bed staring at the ceiling. Have you, <laughs> have you ever noticed anything strange about mom and dad, I asked. She smiled at me and said, no, Timmy... Mom and Dad are just perfect. My blood suddenly ran cold. My name is Tommy. Without another word, I backed out of the room. She was still smiling at me as I closed the door. I had no idea what to do. I couldn't shake the, the sneaking suspicion that there was something wrong with my entire family. I went into my bedroom and tried to think. I heard my mother coming up the stairs... She went into her bedroom and closed the door. I decided to spy on her, so I went into the hallway and peeked through her keyhole. What I saw terrified me. My mother was changing clothes. She was standing with her back to me, and I immediately noticed something shocking. Her skin was very pale, and there was a zipper that ran all the way down her back. Whatever she was... She wasn't my mom. That's when the panic set in. I ran downstairs and out the front door as I was dashing down the driveway. I looked back and saw my father at the front door. He was on all fours, growling like an animal, howling and chasing after me, like a raging demon. Since then, I've been on the run. All I can do is keep moving. Now that I know their secret, they can't afford to let me live. I keep moving from place to place, begging on the streets for spare change. I tried to go to the police, but they wouldn't believe me. They said I was a runaway and tried to bring me back to my parents. I just narrowly managed to escape. I tried to go to the media, but every reporter I spoke to just laughed in my face. I'm tired of running. I'm pretty sure they killed my real family. My only reason for living is now to get revenge. Can anyone help me? My name is Timmy.
Halloween, also known as All Hallows' Eve, is a celebration observed in many countries on October 31st, the eve of the Western Christian feast of All Hallows' Day. It begins the observance of All Hallowtide, the time in the year dedicated to remembering the dead, including saints, martyrs, and all the departed. One theory holds that many Halloween traditions were influenced by Celtic harvest festivals, particularly the Gaelic festival Samhain, which is believed to have pagan roots. Some go further and suggest that Samhain may have been Christianized as All Hallows Day, along with its eve by the early church, although other academics believe that Halloween began solely as a Christian holiday, being the vigil of All Hallows Day. Halloween activities include trick-or-treating, or the related guising and souling, attending Halloween costume parties, carving pumpkins into jack-o'-lanterns, lighting bonfires, apple bobbing, divination games, playing pranks, visiting haunted attractions, telling scary stories, as well as watching horror films. For some people, the Christian religious observance of All Hallows' Eve including attending church services and lighting candles on the graves of the dead, remain popular, although for others it is a secular celebration. Some Christians historically abstained from meat on All Hallows' Eve, a tradition reflected in eating of certain vegetarian foods on this vigil day, including apples, potato pancakes, and soul cakes. Now, soul cakes is a small round cake although they more resemble in appearance and texture as a shortbread biscuit with sweet spices, which is traditionally made for Halloween, All Saints Day, and All Souls Day to commemorate the dead in many religious traditions. The cakes, often simply referred to as souls, are given out to soulers, mainly consisting of children and the poor, who go from door to door during the days of All Hallowtide singing and saying prayers for the souls of the givers and their friends. The practice in England dates to medieval period and was continued there until the 1930s. In Sheffield and Cheshire, the custom has continued into modern times. In Lancashire and the northeast of England, soul cakes were known as har cakes, a kind of thin parkin. The practice of giving and eating soul cakes continues in some countries today, such as Portugal, as well as the Philippines. In other countries, souling is seen as the origin of the practice of trick-or-treating. In the United States, some churches during All Hallowtide have invited people to come receive sweets from them and have offered to pray for the souls of their friends, relatives, or even pets as they do so. Among Catholics and Lutherans, some parishioners have their soul cakes blessed by a priest before being distributed. In exchange, the children promise to pay for the souls of the deceased relatives of the giver during the month of November, which is a month dedicated especially for praying for holy souls. Any leftover soul cakes are shared among the distributing family or given to the poor.
I woke up sweating. This was the third time this week that I had this strange reoccurring dream. It feels so real, like I can hear the voices clearly, feel the contact with my skin. Sometimes I can't tell if it's real or not. I try to forget it every night. However, it keeps coming back to me. It starts off with me going to bed. I hear a quiet humming that wakes me up out of a dead sleep. Every time, it seems to lure me in. I get out of bed to follow the sound. I grab my robe, put my slippers on. I follow it through my house, and the closer I get to the front door, the colder it gets. I tie up my robe and cross my arms. I could see my breath now. I slowly open the door and I can barely see outside. It's so foggy. The humming gets louder and then quiet again. I leave my house and close the door. I get a weird feeling like someone's watching me. I stop and look around me, but I, I can't see anything. I can't even see the hand in front of my face. The humming sound seems to be coming from my left, so I turn and start walking that way. After what seems like hours following the noise, I notice that the fog has cleared some, enough for me to realize where I am. I find myself in a cemetery that's just down the street from my home. I'm surrounded by tons of old headstones that are crumbling and cracked, covered in cobwebs. The humming appears to have stopped. Out of the corner of my eye, I see something crawling across the ground, moving fast, faster than anything I've seen before. I turn to see if I can tell what it is, but it's gone. I slowly walk over to where I saw it. I look down and I see a small headstone. It's really dusty, so I, I clear it off. I read it, Jane Miles. That's my name. I rub my eyes and shake my head. Maybe I was misreading it, but it was so clear, clearer than day itself. I bend down to get a closer look. It has my face on it, my birthday. I back up real fast. This can't be true. I'm not dead. Why is this here? As I'm backing up, I trip and fall. Thud! Dust flies everywhere. The fall knocked the breath out of me. I look around and I realize I, I fell in a coffin. I, I can't move. I feel bugs crawling all over my skin. All I can do is look at them and cringe as they cover my body. I look up and, th and they're just standing, looking down at me as a dark shadow. I can't make out any of the details. I try to yell for help, but I can't speak. The shadowed figure slowly starts closing the lid. I try to scream to tell the person or thing to stop, but again, nothing comes out. The lid slams shut, then I awaken. Every day I drive to the cemetery and check that exact spot where, where I found the headstone in my dream. The creepy thing is, there's a headstone there, but it's blank. Is this dream telling me my fate? I guess I won't know what until it happens. I still don't understand the humming or where it comes from. I don't know why I keep having this dream. 
All I know is that one day, I could end up here, in this spot. And that scares me more than anything. The detective escorted the parents through the mortuary. I'm so very sorry for this. I have to warn you, this will be a rather large shock. You need to prepare yourselves. He led them to one of the metal drawers and pulled it open, revealing a small body wrapped in white material. Are you ready? He asked. Slowly and reluctantly, they nodded. When he pulled aside the sheet, the woman fell down to her knees, crying and retching. The husband lowered himself to her level and buried her face into his chest, squeezing his eyes shut in a failed attempt to remain stoic and calm for his wife. He opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. He cleared his throat and quietly choked out a few barely audible words. That's... that's her. That's our girl. On the table lay a small child around the age of eight. Her face, arms, and shoulders were half-eaten, with tiny rodent bite marks scattered across her skin. Stiff white hairs littered her torn dress and matted blonde curls. On half of her face that remained intact was a joyful, delighted smile, frozen for the rest of time. How? gasped the man. His wife continued to bawl into his shirt, soaking it with her tears. The detective hesitated. We... We pulled her out of a sewage pipe. One arm was pinned to her side, the other outstretched. And her face and shoulders... Well, you can see. The man stared blankly at the detective, who slowly continued. We're not sure what animal was responsible for this, but the forensic said it might have been rabbits. We're not sure why rabbits would act this way, especially while the girl was still a... He stopped himself from continuing. Why did we name her Alice? The mother sobbed hysterically into her husband's shoulder. We could have named her anything else, anything in the world. As the man began to sob as well, he placed a hand on his wife's head. In his other hand, he held a tightly crumpled note with an untidy, childlike scrawl that read, I'm going to find my rabbit hole. I know you'll miss me, and I'm sorry, but don't be sad. I'm in Wonderland! And remember, here at EMZT Radio, we have everything horror, from the human race to entertainment. He's gonna get you! 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 He's gonna get you!
Russellville, old Charlie Bold, about 15 years ago. One night he, he finished dinner and he, he excused himself from the table and he went out to the garage and he got himself a hacksaw. And then he went back into the house and he kissed his wife and his two children goodbye and then he proceeded... Where to... are we? Uh, huh? Oh, uh, it's uh, right over here. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? Just aren't right As your chest is getting tight 
Count to ten before you die As the monsters come